Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hi, everybody. I'm Heidi Durow. I'm your host of The Mixed Experience. It's a weekly podcast, which is a mixed chicks mixed thoughts about a mixed up world. You should say that three times in a row. I know I can't. Uh, I'm glad you're here today. It's October 31st, 2016, and we have a fantastic guest on today. Actually, I think she's my first repeat guest, but I know you're going to love her because you loved her when she was on the show back in August of 2015. She has a great new book out we're going to talk about a little bit. But before we get to her and her wonderful book, I wanted to just make a couple of short announcements. I know you've heard it before. If you've heard the podcast, I spearhead a wonderful festival called the Mixed Remixed Festival. It's a 501c3 nonprofit, all volunteer run. None of us get paid anything to do it, but it's a really amazing, fantastic time. It's the largest gathering of mixed race and multiracial people and families in the country. Last year, we had uh, just about a thousand people at our event and all sorts of fantastic press coverage from National Public Radio, the Los Angeles Times, and NBC News. Well, uh, we're doing it, doing it again in 2017. It's June 10th, 2017 in Los Angeles. Head on over to the website, www.mixedremix.org. Get more details there. And we're also looking for speakers, performers, uh, bloggers, uh, workshop leaders for the festival. So if you're interested in being a part of it in that way, apply and see what happens. Uh, we're, we're interested in knowing about your work. Number two thing, I'm teaching a writing workshop in February in Northern California. If you're interested in joining that, head on over to my website, HeidiWDeRoe.com. Uh, it's a really transformative space in Northern California, just outside of Woodside. And uh, it's a really powerful workshop, I think, because I will tell you this, two of the participants of my 2014 workshop actually have books that have just come out, and the other one is just about to come out. So, yeah, that's a powerful result, I must tell you. So there's that. Uh, anyway, so let's get on to the real show here. I want to say I am so excited to have Nicole Blades on the show again today. She's a novelist and a journalist. Her features and essays have appeared in Cosmo, NewYorkTimes.com, WashingtonPost.com, Health, MarieClaire.com, Self, BuzzFeed, and BlogHer. She's born and raised in Montreal. She now lives in Connecticut with her husband and their son, and she is now the author of a second novel. I wish I had a second novel that was coming out right away now. (laughs) Hers is great. It's called The Thunder Beneath Us, and uh, I'm so excited to have her on the show today. Welcome back, Nicole. Hi. Thanks so much for having me on again, Heidi. Well, so last time you were on the show, I asked you the standard question, and your answer was, wow, that's a good one. A black woman who is Canadian and from West Indian parentage and living in the U.S. So I think you can, like, backtrack and figure out what the question was, but do you think you would answer the question differently today? 
And mm. why or why not? Well, what's the question again? <laughs> <laughs> that was the part I forgot to I forgot to add. I said, "What are you?" And you laughed very heartily, just like that. And then you gave that answer. <laughs> um, I think I don't think the answer would change. I am a black woman Canadian um, of West Indian heritage living in the U.S. in Connecticut <laughs> with my with my mic and mother of a mixed race son. So oh, maybe I'll yeah. tack that on. Although he's not new. He's seven years old. <laughs> I don't think I had him in, in my what are you original answer. Yes, you hadn't mentioned him in the original answer. That, no, that's cool, it's, and it's always right. Uh, but it's so interesting because as someone who is ethnically ambiguous looking, and I encounter the question quite often, very mm-hmm. often on a daily basis, uh, you know, my answer changes as well, So, and as it should, right? Okay, so <laughs> the main thing that you also didn't say in the what are you is that you are a two-time novelist now. Can I tell you, like, how, like, like excited I am for you, but how did you get this second book out? <laughs> well, thank you. first of all, I, you know what? It's so funny. When you ask what are you, I think because of the nature of the show, and I thought, I, was ang- I, thought where I knew where you were angling, that's why I talked more about my DNA. <laughs> <laughs> my genetic makeup, then my uh, identity. And definitely um, writer is up there. So the second book, I actually was so, so fortunate in I got a two-book deal with Kensington, uh, gosh, maybe a year, a year and a little bit ago, maybe two years now. And so this Thunder Beneath Us is the first of those two books that's coming out. The second one, uh, the second novel is coming out November of 2017. So well, I want to talk I, to you about that a little later because I remember sure. you told me it's about a mixed-race girl who is passing. Yes. Um, yes. So we'll get to that. But I want to talk about the Thunder Beneath Us because I feel like it's part of a growing genre or maybe it's a piece of the stories that haven't yet been told. Just last week I had on the show Ginger McKnight Chavers, who is actually one of my students who was at that workshop, and her book just came out uh, called In the Heart of Texas. And kind of in the same vein as The Thunder Beneath Us, deals with this ferociously accomplished African-American woman who has what I describe as a very um, mixed experience. And I don't just mean, you know, in terms of like ups and downs, but I mean racially and culturally. What, so anyway, so one question is, can you tell us a little bit about your heroine, um, Best Lightburn, and why her story now? Best Lightburn is a very strong-willed, smart um, funny young woman who is a journalist, a magazine journalist. She is a top writer at an international style magazine, and she's been climbing the masthead ever since she landed in New York. She's originally, like me, from Montreal, Canada. And so she's been living and working and thriving in New York for a few years. And she is um, harboring a secret 
from her past. She experienced a tragic accident uh, in her family when she, ten, 10 years ago when she was 17, and she decided to recast herself when she moved to New York. And so the secret from her past is now threatening, at 27 years old, is threatening to come back into the light and possibly ruin this very charm, seemingly charmed life that she's leading. So that's she, her story. And why now, really I think... Comp- yeah. She's a complicated, well, she's complicated character that I don't know if we could have, um, we could have had in our, in our imaginations even, you know, 15 years ago. Black, yeah. African-American yeah. women or Afro-Canadian women were not allowed to be that complicated, I think. Right. And she's not always, and I know people, you know, bristle at this, she's not always likable. Like, she, some of the things she's doing... It's not the best, you know, she's making some bad choices and making some bad decisions. And she is um, looking out for herself and being selfish in some, in some respects. So she's not the um, you is kind, you is important type of character <laughs> or the all-knowing, you know, um, sage, um, black, <laughs> old black man who's going to come appear out of nowhere on the golf course and help you through your, your, uh, your troubles. So she's she's complicated. She's got layers to her. She is, um, you know, uh, involved in a. She's she started an affair with her boss's boss, and so she's doing some things where it's like, ooh, team bad decisions. <laughs> team captain <laughs> is over there. Well, so, I have um, to tell you, like that was something I really loved about her. I, I'm not a Sex in the City kind of fan. I never really watched <laughs> the show, but like we get to have Carrie Bradshaw too as African Americans, yes. and we get to make bad mistakes. Um, you know, things that the reader, you know, as a reader, I was like, oh no, she is going <laughs> to. Oh, she did, right? Right. Right. So wonderfully refreshing about. Um, having her be as complicated as she was, how, as a writer, did you wrestle with making sure she was, and I, I don't even know if I agree with this idea, but likable enough? Because I think, mm-hmm. like, in my own writing, we, we have similar uh, stories in our books in that, you know, my book is about a young girl who's a survivor, and she's dealing with this this tragic past of her family and yours is an adult woman who's dealing with it. But because they're in these positions of grief, of, of really extended grief, they uh, are, they're not, they're, they're self-destructive sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and they're not always, they're not always nice. Um, right. But, but still, I'm on the side of best the entire time. So what was the struggle as a writer for you in trying to, to balance out, you know, the likability and the unlikability? That's really a, not a tough question, but an important one in that it is a challenge to when you're writing these characters and you're trying to make them layered and real, realistic, because not everyone is sweet and lovely all the time. And everyone has, you know, different pockets of themselves that they reveal at different times. And I think with Best Lightburn, and in writing that, this character, I wanted her to be realistic in that some things are going to be like, oh, best, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, and other times you're going to be like, oh, I, I get it. I feel you on that. So it is a challenge to make someone likable enough. Well, not even likable enough. It's more like relatable. 
So mm-hmm. it's someone that you might not necessarily like everything they're doing. You might not even like them as a person that you wouldn't want to be friends with them, but you can understand some of the decisions they're making. You can understand where they're coming from and you can relate to some of the things that they're dealing with. So I think that's where I put my focus on making her or trying to make her realistic and relatable and reflective of people that you might come across at, at work or at, you know, in your circle of friends. And or in, I think in the mirror, by the way. I mean, or, or in the, exactly, or in the mirror. Someone who is, you know, you yourself might be like, gosh, I, 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 I can see best in me and, and some of the things that she's doing, good or bad, I can, I can relate and I can see myself making those same choices. Or I would probably do the same thing she just did. And knowing that it's not, quote, unquote, the right thing to do, but it's the thing you're doing. So exactly. I think I, I put my focus on making her relatable and real. Yeah. You said something really telling in our last conversation. You said, you know, the success of the writing comes uh, in part if someone is reading it and says, oh, me too. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people, a lot of women will be able to say that about Beth, but maybe not in her best moments. <laughs> also, you know, it's also just very telling that you've written a very complex and complicated character. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other piece that I was really excited about is that, you know, it's it's fun. It's you know, she she had, you know, we're talking about like bad choices and she's doing stuff that's self destructive, but she's having fun also there's a, you know there's humor in the story and i feel like that too is something that our stories are being able to claim in a way that we had hadn't before um mm-hmm. i'm thinking now also of caitlin greenidge's latest book uh we love you charlie freeman where all of a sudden african-american women's women of colors narratives can be as complex or I'm coming up with all the wrong words, like universal <laughs> as, <laughs> as though, you know, the chick who wrote the, the prep book, Curtis Sittenfield, right. you know? Right, um, right. And so I found, no question really, I just found that really refreshing. But did you find yourself as a writer making a choice to do that? Or was this just a, the natural story for you to tell next? I think it's more of the latter in that I want to read, I want to tell stories that I want to read. And I want to tell stories that are, again, I hate to use this word all the time, but reflective of the real world. And, you know, I, I can't remember who was it said, maybe it was Angela Flournoy who said that, you know, having an opportunity to tell, tell black lives as just ordinary, you know, there's, these women yes. having ordinary experiences that we have seen and read or even seen on TV or in film, we've seen time and time again where they're allowed to just have a regular, normal life experience and sort of ruminate on that. And, and uh, oftentimes with black characters, black women specifically, there's so much more, there's more of a burden to have a message or have something else going on beyond just living a life or telling this one version of a story and just leading an ordinary life. Um, I think for me, uh, I like reading those stories because I want to be able to say like, oh, I, I know that person. I've met that person before, or I can, I can almost envision this person because it, it's someone I know, you know, this is, yeah. this is, this is 
familiar to me. So I think that was my aim as well, is writing a character that's familiar. Like you, it's not some sort of completely put together, comp- something where it just feels unrealistic, where you're thinking, this is not a real person. <laughs> you, know? you want them to have three <laughs> dimensions, but also be someone that you can, you recognize, like, oh, I have a friend like that, that I work with, or this is my sister, or something like that, you know, and I think, like, for example, one of the, um, I, I don't know if it's a plot point, but something that happens in the book is Beth Lightburn gets a new boss, and it's um, another black woman, so it's now, she's begun, she's gone from being the, the only at work to being one of few, and that mm-hmm. has its own complications and strings attached to it too because she and this this new boss don't necessarily get along and uh she, you know Beth at one point feels like there's only room for one of us here so it's going to be like well, a hunger I mean, game that's style kind of what we've been told yes <laughs> exactly so that's what i'm saying like this is an experience that i think a lot of women have either they themselves have gone through it or they have a friend a a sister, a cousin who's experienced something where it's like, no, they're only, there's one seat for one woman of color at the table and not two. So work it out amongst yourselves. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to be the lucky one to stay and have, an, have a voice and have a presence here at this company? So um, that was something that I wanted to look into as well, just things that are actually happening in, in women's lives and that they're dealing with and trying to sort through. And, and sometimes they don't negotiate it the best way, but other times, you know, it works out. So I, I really want to pay attention to real issues that women of color who are working and in this industry and, you know, um, whether they're writers or a lawyer, that they're faced with on a daily basis. And it can be really stressing and really demoralizing when you go yeah. to work and you feel like you're being pit against the only other woman of color at, at the job and or you feel like you're um being sort of grouped together lumped together as like the the voice of black people are going to be representing this magazine you're going to represent the voice of black women in this entire magazine just because you two are black women you don't have anything else in common but so i wanted to look at things like that where these are real issues that real women are dealing with yeah, yeah. Um, one of the, I mean, there's so many things we could talk about about the book. Uh, she has a boyfriend who's biracial, who mm-hmm. who has, um, a, can I, this isn't a plot spoiler about his state of mind is, um, no. does not make him, okay, so he has a breakdown and he is not, but he's not tragic. He's not a tragic mulatto, which I really <laughs> But this is no. important. Like we have to be able to say that you know the the mixed people may have mental difficulties or men, you know health mental mm-hmm. health challenges, but that doesn't mean that they're they're tragic and you know hopeless. So right. I love that it was a really complicated character who like said you know I'm having this challenge and now I'm going to work on it and fix it and now I'm going to continue you know like there's right. something really right. satisfying about that for me so I thank you for that character oh but great so, so the one moment that was uh not the one but the moment that just is sticking with me still is uh any moment with her dad mm. so I just was so interested in that relationship and I'm going to I'm just going to say this there's this one scene and I won't say what it's about but mm-hmm. 
she sees that her father is in pain and she says, dad, I'm sorry. And he looks at her and he says, nonsense. God need be sorry, not you. And I swear I just wanted to burst into tears because I thought, <laughs> what this is like an incredible tenderness that I don't know if we're, we find in the stories of black parents, black fathers and daughters in this way. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I'm being very limited, I think, in my memory, but this just really stood out to me as a, a really lovely portrait of you know, father-daughter relationship that we don't often see. Why was that important to have here? You know, for a few reasons. One is I have a, a really fantastic father. I mean, I'm biased, obviously, but I've got a fantastic father, and I have a really close relationship with him. And something that I've always admired about him and completely am in awe <laughs> of uh, is the fact that he was raised by a single mother in Barbados and he didn't have a father figure. He didn't have anyone sort of showing him how to be a good dad, yet he is. And, you know, I, I wanted to tell a story of um, specifically a Caribbean man who's a father, but who is a present, loving, and involved father. I mean, I'm not saying that they don't exist at all. But I think oftentimes in literature and also in film, it's the absentee father or the father who is, you know, hard and not, not, does not, can't show vulnerability, can't show that sort of loving. They they show you they love you in these other ways that you have to kind of guess about. I wanted to show this relationship between a father and daughter that it's so clear, it's undeniable how much love there is there. He's not, He's not. He doesn't have any difficulty showing it and expressing how tenderness with with his with his child. So I think it was important to me because that is the kind of father I was raised around, and it had an impact on my life. And I wanted to sort of explore that a little bit about just the kinds of relationships that fathers and daughters can have and do have, but might not always be highlighted when it comes to literature or it comes to film or TV shows, oftentimes you kind of fall into those tropes of, you know, like I said, the, you know, the, I, I, put, I put food on the table. That's how I love you kind of <laughs> which is, you know, that's some, you know, some generations, that's how they do. That's what they know. And it's really difficult to break out of that. But I wanted yeah. to just focus on the different type of father who is, not afraid to show tenderness and and true love and kindness to their children. Well, I I really love that piece of it. I, I know, like, in my own writing, I also was very cognizant of not necessarily reflecting my own father's, you know, fathering experience, but I remember the backlash that African-American women writers got in the 80s when they became in vogue with Gloria Naylor, you know, her mm-hmm. And and Toni Morrison and Terry mm-hmm. McMillan and they were getting prizes and becoming bestsellers and there was all this backlash saying you know African American men in these books are all rapists and abusers and alcoholics mm-hmm. and uh, we should do something different and so and maybe that was why I just really connected with this relationship because I thought it was just an important addition to the stories that are out there about fathering in 
and families of color, and it was yeah. just very much touched me. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm really glad. Yeah. Well, so um, we've talked a little bit about the book, but now you have to finish another one. So. <laughs> no, I actually finished it. This is why this what? spring, most of this year has been a, not even a blur, just like a mad, <laughs> a madhouse situation. I had to, my deadline for book two of the two book deal was um, the first week of September. So I had this crazy writing schedule that I was just, because as, as a journalist, I'm just built by deadlines. So that's how I work. And I'm so, yeah. so anxious about not meeting my deadline that I will, you know, let sleep slide. I'll let everything else go to the, to the wayside because I have to meet that deadline. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever going to shake that, but it's how I'm built. And um, so my deadline for that next book was early September. So from about March through September, it was just steady writing, 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 working. But at the same time, leaving a space open in my brain for like the edits and also starting to ramp up on the book marketing and promotion for The Thunder Beneath Us. So it was Which a little you did a wonderful trippy. job of, by the way. I, <laughs> oh, I feel like you should you. teach a class in that. Of, thank you, you so know. much. It's tough, though, because there's a lot out there and you want to just – you just want to be seen and heard and get on the radar, but you don't want to do it in that way in terms of publicizing your book or yourself where it just starts to sound like me, 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 You know, people tune that out quickly. So it's a fine line to try to figure out how to promote yourself, but at the same time give more than you're getting and have something of value that you're offering people along with. You know, like my book's coming out, but I also talk about these other things that are important to me and maybe important to you and have that conversation, that dialogue going with whether it's well, on Twitter if, or if on you Facebook. you don't like actually um, get the newsletter that Nicole sends out, you, you really should because it's interesting. And if you're an aspiring novelist, then I feel like she's just doing it all right. So go oh. to her website and sign up for the newsletter today. <laughs> Oh, my gosh, Heidi, thank you so much. You know, I honestly thank you very much for saying that because I enjoy doing the newsletter, but there's sometimes, as you know, as a writer in general, where you're wondering, like, is this thing on? Can anybody hear me? Is this landing anywhere? Uh, yeah. Are people liking You know, and so whenever someone does say that they get something from the, from the newsletter or they enjoyed a specific thing, it really makes my heart sing because I feel like, okay, it's it's landing and it's connecting with people and like I said before, there's some sort of me too or I thought that too or I didn't know that mm-hmm. aspect to it and that's what I'm really trying to do is just put something out there and give people something that I mean they're giving me their email address which is important these days so I don't want to just make it like some spammy thing that's not worth their time. I yeah, really put a exactly. lot of effort into making it something that they can actually read and, and take interest in. Well, you definitely do that, and um, and you do you do it with the book as well. So, can you tell us the title of the book that's coming out next year? Not it, yet, not okay. yet. There's a title right. to it, but I'm going to keep the pot on keep the lid on that pot a little bit longer. I understand how those things can also change too. So hold it tight. Exactly. And see it on the cover. <laughs> exactly. Actually, that's so funny because um, the thunder beneath us at one point 
once I, I mean, it had so many names as I was working on it, some that were just horrible. But at the time, I was like, yes, this is it. <laughs> I was like, no, this is not it. But the <laughs> title, The Thunder Beneath Us, once I landed on it, I was like, okay, this works because it makes a lot of sense for what's going on inside of Best's heart and inside her head. And um, it's a lot of stormy stuff. It's not calm and peaceful. There's a lot of thunder and, and you know, rumbling going on beneath her surface. And so I was really happy with it, and I was working along. And then at one point, my editor said, when they were trying to work on the cover ideas, that they thought maybe we should, I should change it. But at that point, you're, you're married to this thing. <laughs> so I was like, I'm yes. not divorcing this thing. No, I still love it. So um, I had to go away for like a weekend and, and think it through and, and come back with some ideas. But everything was just never going to be good enough. So I, finally, I gave them, you know, maybe three or four possible ideas. But thank the Lord, they came back and they're like, okay, we're set. We're going to stick with uh, the Thunder Beneath. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, titles do change for sure. Yeah. It, well, it fits the book, and it's a, it's a great book. I highly recommend it to everyone. Nicole, people can find you on Twitter at Nicole Blades. And yes. on your website, NicoleBlades.com, uh, will they be able to find a schedule of any book touring there as well? Yes, yes. Actually, I'm getting ready this Thursday. I'm heading to my hometown of Montreal. I'm going to do like a little mini Canadian book tour. So I've got a couple of events in Montreal, and then I'm going to be doing some things in Toronto. And then I'm back. I'm going to be doing some stuff in West Hart, in Connecticut, in Mystic, and in Brooklyn. So I'm bopping around for the next little bit of time and it can all be found on my website nicoleblades.com under the news section we have a whole bunch of like my assistant thank goodness for her Britt she has been putting it all together and um, you can click on things and, and get all the information that you need awesome awesome thank you so much for joining me again today and for this book and your work and your voice uh, I hope we'll have you on again when the new book comes out and you've got to <laughs> stop kidding? writing so fast I'm trying to catch <laughs> up I really am <laughs> thank you so much Heidi I always enjoy chatting with you and thank you very much for the support it means the world oh it's, it's, it's my pleasure thank you I will talk to you again soon alright take care bye 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 Okay, so she's just great. If you didn't hear her first interview on the show, it was mostly about her life and uh, her writing just in general. It was in August of 2015. I think it was August 3rd. So you can go back and download that from iTunes. It was a really wonderful conversation. And she has such a lovely voice to listen to also. Uh, but make sure you go check out her book, The Thunder Beneath Us. It's out from Kensington Press. I hope I just got that right. Uh, it's a good read. It's fun. You know, I, I get excited when I read these stories that we haven't seen in print before, guys. And it's really important to support our artists. You can learn more about her at her website, NicoleBlades.com. Find her on Twitter. She's a, a great tweeter, <laughs> at Nicole Blades. And uh, her other handles for Instagram and Facebook are also up on my website. I don't have those right in front of me right now. But check out her work. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'll be back again next week at the regular time, 5 p.m. on Monday, 5 p.m. Eastern time. I'd love to hear from you. If you have comments or questions, you can email me at Heidi at HeidiWDuro.com. Uh, or you can tweet me at HeidiDuro. And uh, I'll be here again with you next week with 
more questions, not many answers, and hopefully some recommendations that you'll enjoy. Thanks for joining the Mixed Experience this week. I'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.